0: Thank you all for worshiping through singing. And now we're gonna spend some time worshiping through the word together. My name is Justin Naus. I'm the teaching pastor here at Ingleside. And I just wanna add my welcome to you this morning. I'm so glad you're here today on a pretty chilly Sunday morning in March. Uh, I don't know about you, but I love the cold weather and I thought we were sort of done with it and now we get another weekend of it. So I'm doing great today. Uh, I hope you are too, however you might feel about the temperature, but I'm glad you're here and we're able to worship the Lord together. We're gonna look at part of Judges this morning, the Old Testament book of Judges. We'll start in chapter two. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up there. Uh, Also get out your listening outline and a pen so you can write some things in along the way. And as you do that, let me say welcome to those of you that are joining us online and on television. I'm really glad that you're with us as well. Uh, Now you'll see at the top of your listening outline that we're currently reading the book of Judges in our chapter a day readings. And if you're not yet part of that, man, I hope you'll join us. Text the word CHAPTER to 22828 and join us in reading a chapter of the Bible uh, every single day. And so right now we're reading the book of Judges. And here's what's going on in Judges. Uh, you may remember that God's people, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for a long period of time. And they cried out to the Lord. He heard their cry and rescued them. He delivered them from slavery, set them free. It's what we call the Exodus. And the key leader he used in that was a man named Moses. So Moses led them out of Egypt. After Moses died, Joshua took over as the primary leader and he led them into the promised land, a really exciting period for God's people to go into the land he had promised. After Joshua died is when the period of the judges takes place. And it was sort of a dark period, spiritually speaking, for the Israelites. In fact, here's sort of the spiritual climate. Would you write it in? The Bible says that they forgot the Lord and his works. Chapter two, it says that after Joshua died, a generation rose up that did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. It's tragic. And a real encouragement to us, by the way, to make sure that we continue to pass on the faith to the next generation uh, as a church and within the home. Unfortunately, here there arose a generation, it says, that didn't know the Lord. Now they knew some things about him. They knew that he existed. They knew that he was powerful. In fact, we'll see that in a minute. But none of that really meant a lot to them in their day-to-day lives. It says in chapter three, they forgot the Lord. Uh, Not in terms of not having memories of him. It just means they didn't think much about him, and he didn't have much effect on how they lived their lives. In fact, it was so bad, it says, right this end that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. A whole nation of sinners just doing whatever they wanted, whatever seemed right to them. It seems like a recipe for disaster, doesn't it? And it was. They were in this sort of downward spiral of sin. It got worse and worse. It was some dark days for them. Now, the Bible also says in Judges, in fact, it's sort of a refrain throughout the book that the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And do you see the contrast? They did what was right in their own eyes, but it was evil in the eyes of the Lord. They were okay with how they were living and the choices they were making and the way of life they were choosing it seemed okay to them. But God considered it to be evil. And that was the problem. And so with that spiritual climate in mind, I want us to see this morning sort of the big picture of this period and one specific example of one of the judges that God used in this period. And so we'll start in chapter 2, verse 16. There's a passage here that sort of summarizes this period, and there's some important lessons for us in this. So starting in verse 16, it says, The Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges. Listen to this. It says, For they hoard after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord. And they did not do so. So here's what's sort of going on. When God led his people into the promised land, there were other people already living there. And those people worshiped other gods, false gods, and they're not real, they worshiped idols. And God told his people then to drive out those other people, because if his people were just sort of around that idolatry enough and just sort of accepted it, then they would be tempted to join in the worship of those idols. And sure enough, that's what happened. His people did not drive out the other people like God had told them to, and they began to worship idols. In verse 17, it says they hoard after other gods. That's some strong language, isn't it? And it's meant to be. It's making the point, write it in, that idolatry is like adultery. How so? It's was because they were in a covenant relationship with God. He had chosen them to be his people and he would be their God and he loved them and cared for them and had delivered them and had provided for them. And in return, they were to be faithful to him and him alone as their God to worship him. But they didn't. They broke that covenant relationship and treated other things like God. fact, like there are sort of two main... Idols we read about throughout the book of Judges. And apparently there were lots of statues built to represent those idols all around. And so after all the Lord had done for them, it says they kind of forgot about him and they began to be faithful to and loyal to and serve. Statues, man-made statues that represented gods that didn't even exist. The Bible says it was a spiritual Adultery breaking of the covenant relationship it's a reminder of the depth and seriousness and significance of sin and idolatry it's far too easy sometimes to take sin lightly the world certainly does but God considers it spiritual adultery and what would happen whenever they did that God would send other people to sort of take them over and oppress them for an extended period of time and the point of that was to kind of get their attention and turn their hearts back to him. And so they would cry out, God, will you please save us? Will you rescue us? Keep in mind, they, uh, they hadn't thought a whole lot about him up until that point. They had worshiped other idols. That's why they were in this situation. But when life got tough for them, that's when they turned to the Lord and went, hey, can you help us out? And here's what would happen. Verse 18 says, Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. And then listen to this. It says, For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. He was moved to pity. This tells us about the heart of God. Would you write it in that God is compassionate and patient? After their spiritual adultery, after all he had done for them and they went and worshiped other gods, what was his response? It says he was moved to pity because of their groanings. He had compassion, he was merciful. And he would send a judge to rescue them, to deliver them, to give them their freedom back. And that didn't just happen once, it happened over and over and over again, which is why I said not only is he compassionate, but he is patient. This wasn't just a one-time deal, they messed up and he said, I'm done with you. It wasn't even a three strikes, you're out kind of situation. It was over and over again. He was kind and compassionate and patient with them. So if you kind of think about your own life, and I mean, I'm kind of like you know, those people in some ways where I mean, there's a pattern of sin in my life. I, mean, I hear God's gracious and compassionate and kind, and that's, that really is great, but could He really be like that with me? If I got a, a long time pattern of sin, and a long time of doing things my own way and doing what was right in my own eyes, and that's been going on for a while. Kind of kept going back to it even at times. Or maybe you're one that would say, you know, Justin, I grew up in the church even, so I know a lot of the truth. And uh, But as I got a little older, I just sort of checked out. And the truth is, it's been a long time since I've taken the Lord seriously. Could he really be compassionate toward me? And the answer is yes. You see his heart here. He is compassionate and patient. And he is merciful toward repentant sinners. No matter how long that period has been for you or what's been involved or the spiritual adultery you've committed, the Bible says if you will turn to Jesus in faith, that you will experience his mercy. Oh, what good news for us. And that's what should have happened here for the Israelites. When God rescued them, each time along the way, really, should have been a chance for some significant change for them. They should have said, God, thank you so much for rescuing us. We were wrong to worship those idols, but you're our God. And moving forward, we're going to be faithful to you. We're done with those idols. It's what should have happened. His kindness and patience should have led them in that direction. In fact, Romans 2 says that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. That's what should have happened. But it didn't happen here. Verse 19 says But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. They just didn't learn the lesson, they weren't willing to repent. And so it became a pattern over and over again. They'd sin and God would send uh, other people to oppress them, to get their attention. And again, when life got tough, that's when they suddenly remembered the Lord, went, will you please save us? Will you help us out of this situation? And he would, he would send a judge, a, a military leader who would deliver them from their enemies. And they'd go, great, thanks for doing that. Now we're gonna go back and serve these idols worship them and eventually they'd be oppressed again and they'd go hey God life's really hard right now will you help us out and in his mercy he did they'd kind of go hey thanks for for helping us out God but man we sure do love these statues over here we're gonna go serve them we're sort of done with you for now that was the cycle over and over Reminds me of Proverbs 26, 11, that says, like a dog who returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. That's what they just kept doing, going back to the same sin, back to the same idols. But we can learn a lesson from them. It doesn't have to be that way for us. Would you write this in? That we should learn from the consequences of our sin. You know, sometimes you're gonna sin in ways that has some negative consequences, And God very often is really gracious and will sort of get you through that and give you a second chance. But if we're not careful, when you get back to sort of a better place, you can go right back to those sinful choices, those sinful patterns, or that way of responding that sort of led to the mess to begin with. And maybe God's gracious and gets you through it and you go back to it again instead of learning the lessons that you need to learn from going through that. And so let me just encourage you today, if, if that's happened to you, if and somewhere along the way you did what was right in your own eyes and realized it was not right, and there have been some negative outcomes of that, I mean, learn from that. Let that be a moment of repentance where it leads to some significant change in your life where you would say, God, I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to make those choices. I don't want to continue that pattern. I want to truly follow Jesus, trust you, obey you, moving forward. It can be an opportunity for significant growth in holiness. Once again, that's not what happened here. They just kept going back to it over and over. And so here's what happened. Verse 20 says, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, that I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them. Whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. And so the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly. And he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. And we've just seen God's kindness and mercy and patience very clearly. Major theme throughout Judges. But here we see his anger. Why? It's because they refused to repent. He gave them chance after chance after chance, and they wouldn't repent of that idolatry. They persisted in their sin, and it stirred up his anger that led to more consequences. So write this in, that God's kindness should not be mistaken for apathy. Should not be mistaken for apathy toward your sin. See, if you do sin in some ways and you don't experience the full consequence of that. In fact, sometimes you may not really experience many consequences at all. You you get through it and go, even you think, man, I, I sort of dodged a bullet on that one. Those are some really unwise choices. I know I sinned and everything seems to be okay. You're experiencing God's kindness and God's patience. Thank him for that. But don't presume upon that kindness. And don't misinterpret that as his apathy toward your sin. Don't conclude from that that your sin doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. You can just sort of keep doing it. Apparently, God doesn't really care. No, if you persist in your sin, then you will suffer the consequence of that. And the ultimate consequence is the eternal wrath of God. So here, when they persisted in their sin, it says it stirred up God's anger. And so finally, he said, look, I'm not going to drive out these people for you. If you're not willing to be faithful and obedient, if you're not going to do what I've told you to do, I'm not just going to sort of drive them out for you. He says, I'm going to let them stay there. In fact, he was going to use that as a test, a way of exposing their hearts. And unfortunately, it's a test that they did not pass. The cycle continued over and over. In fact, the the book ends with a statement we saw earlier. It says, there was no king. Which means they didn't have the spiritual leader they really needed. And so everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's the end of the book. I told you, some dark days in the life of Israel during this period. And yet, as we've seen, there's some important lessons for us to learn from that. Also want us to see one example of one of the judges that God used during this period um, there are several in fact there were 12 judges and uh, recorded here and some of them are better known than others uh, in fact just kind of a quick show of hands how many of you have heard of a judge named Deborah anybody heard of Deborah uh, yes yeah, pretty a well-known judge uh, what about a judge named Gideon anybody ever heard of Gideon Gideon's really well known, a cool story, you might remember, God told him to go defeat the Midianites, and then God said, you got too many people in your army, Uh, Gideon, can you imagine hearing that? If you're leading an army into battle, and God goes, too many people, Uh, so he reduced the size of the army very significantly to make it clear who was giving the victory, to make it clear that God would get the glory. So, very well known story there. What about Samson? Anybody ever heard of Samson? Maybe the best known of the judges, had his supernatural strength. And a lot of us know the story of Samson and Delilah, very well known judge. How many of you are familiar with the story of Shamgar? All right, a couple of hands in the room and a few chuckles. Uh, Shamgar is not one of the better known judges. Uh, in fact, he's what's often called one of the minor judges. There are a few that get about one verse each, and, and that's it. Uh, if you've been reading chapter a day, you recently read about Shamgar. You may just not have noticed. Uh, you might have just flown right by. because There's just one verse in the whole Bible. And yet there's some important lessons for us to learn from Shamgar. who's one of the judges that God used to deliver his people. It's found in chapter 3, the very end of the chapter, verse 31. Uh, Shamgar is the third of the judges that we meet. So starting in chapter 3, there's two other stories. And then we get to Shamgar. And it says, verse 31, After him, that's after the second judge, After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goat. And he also saved Israel. So there's the story of Shamgar. What do we know about him? Well, not much. Obviously, everything we know about him is in this verse. Uh, He's mentioned one other time in chapter five, but it's literally just a mention. This is what we actually know about him. So most likely his name is not a Hebrew name, which means uh, he probably wasn't an Israelite. He wasn't actually one of them. We're told he's the son of Anath. That might be a reference to a goddess by that name. And so he's somehow being associated with her could also be a reference to the place that he lived. But either way, most likely, and he's not an Israelite, which meant when he was fighting the Philistines, he was actually fighting on behalf of someone else, not knowingly, intentionally fighting on behalf of the Israelites. In fact, some scholars think the most likely option is that he's part, he was part of the Egyptian army and they also had some issues with the Philistines and so he was fighting them on behalf of the Egyptians. But when he defeated them, God used him to provide for his people. It benefited the Israelites, whether that was Shamgar's intent or not. That's how God used him. It alleviated some of the Philistine pressure. Apparently, they were sort of oppressing the Israelites at that time, and Shamgar delivered them from that oppression. And how did he do it? With an ox goad. You know what an ox goad is? It's basically a stick. With a point on the end. It's a pointed stick. It might have had a metal tip. Maybe not. uh, It had a point on the tip. uh, So you could literally just sort of poke and prod animals. That's what an ox goad was. And that's what he used to defeat 600 Philistines. The man has stick. You ever heard the expression, you shouldn't take a knife to a gunfight? He took a stick into war. I like, mean, if you had been there with him that day and were advising him and he's like, hey man, I got this. I'm gonna go attack these Philistines. I got a stick. You probably would have given him some wise counsel. Hey, Shamgar, man, I love your heart. I love the enthusiasm. I really do. I love your willingness. But my man, you got a stick. You probably need to calm down. Like you just don't have what it takes. Like the Philistines were known for their military power and their weapons. He goes in there with an ox code and he won. defeated 600 Philistines. We don't know for sure if that was one battle or a series of battles, but either way, he defeated 600 of them with his stick. Humanly speaking, there's no way that could happen. But this isn't just humanly speaking, is it? When God is involved, supernatural things can happen. And so here's one of the lessons from Shamgar's life. Would you write it in? That God is not limited by your lack of resources. You might sort of feel like Shamgar at times. I, mean, I just don't have a whole lot to offer or to use. Like I want to serve the Lord. I just don't have a lot. And you might look at other people at times. I mean, they, they've got lots of resources and they've got more money and they've got influence and they've got a platform and they've got certain gifts and I mean, all that's great and you're genuinely happy but you look at people like that and think that's who's going to have an eternal impact. Yeah, God's going to use them in some significant ways. And I'm glad that he is. Then you look at yourself and think, I just don't have some of that. I don't have as much money as some other people have. I don't have the influence that some people have. I don't have that platform. I don't have those gifts. And you might be right. God gives different things to different people in his own wisdom. Here's one of the lessons from Shamgar said that's okay. That's okay. God doesn't need you to have a lot of resources. In fact, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's doing okay on resources. He doesn't need you to have a whole lot of resources. He's got that. And so if you're willing to say, God, uh, I'll be faithful with whatever you've given me, whether it's a lot or a little. And if it's a lot, great. Praise the Lord and use that for his glory. But if it's a little, that's okay too to say, God, I don't have a whole lot, but what I have is yours. And will you use it for your glory? Here's my ox goat. That's all I've got but God, I trust you to use it in however way you want for your glory, and he will. So be encouraged by that. You got a lot of resources, little, doesn't matter. God's not limited by that. Here's another lesson from Shamgar. Write this in, that attention doesn't equal significance. What do I mean by that? Well, there were other judges that got a lot more attention, even in the Bible, and as a result, tend to get more attention from us sometimes. We've just sort of seen that. There are certain judges we're much more familiar with, and it's because they get a lot more real estate in the book of Judges. Some of them get several paragraphs. Some get multiple chapters. Shamgar gets one verse. And yet Shamgar's significance is not found in the number of verses he gets. It's found in the story that he's part of. So when you recognize what's going on in the book of Judges and what God was doing in the life of his people and how that connects to what God was doing and is still doing for his people all throughout history, and you realize that Shamgar got to be part of that, doesn't matter how many verses he gets, he was part of something incredibly significant. That life counted. It was used by God in important ways. This reminds us of a principle that sometimes things that don't get a lot of attention are really significant in God's kingdom. For example, have any of you been reading much this week about the Kishinev Bible Church? It's a cool story. Uh, church just across the border from Ukraine, Evangelical Church, Uh, that's providing a lot of care for Ukrainian refugees right now. In fact, they went just over the border into Ukraine about a mile in and they've been providing food and water and transportation, meeting physical needs, meeting spiritual needs, sharing the gospel. It's a really cool story. I hadn't seen that one in the headlines of any major news organizations this week. That story hadn't really captured the attention of the world, but in God's kingdom, man, what those people are doing matters. It's a significant story. Or what about, have you uh, heard of any of these uh, Christian doctors who are essentially sneaking into Ukraine right now to provide medical care for civilians on their way out as they flee? Hadn't gotten many headlines. Those doctors would probably prefer to keep it that way. And yet in God's kingdom, what they're doing matters a lot. That's a significant story, even if it's not getting a lot of attention. Same thing's true on a personal level. Uh, most likely you're going to be part of things and have conversations and serve in ways and give to things that, that don't get a lot of attention. And typically that's good and right. Sometimes you'll get attention, and if so, you use that for God's glory. But often you're going to serve the Lord in ways that don't get a lot of attention. That's okay. Because if your life is being poured out for the sake of Christ and his gospel and his kingdom, then that's a life that matters. That's significance. That's a life that will be used by God to have an eternal impact. So the question for us isn't how much attention am I getting; it's what story is my life part of. And if you're willing to pour your life out for the sake of Christ and the gospel and His kingdom, that matters and will have an eternal impact. So that's just a couple of lessons from Shamgar. There's one other big takeaway for us today from the judges. You remember the spiritual climate we started with it was. They'd forgotten the Lord. They were doing what was right in their own eyes and suffering the consequences of that. And what was God's response to that? In his mercy, he sent someone into that to rescue his people. What do you think about the spiritual climate of our world today? There's a lot of brokenness, a lot of pain. Why? Because a lot of people have forgotten the Lord. They're just doing what's right in their own eyes. There are consequences of that. The world is feeling the consequences of that. And of course, we've contributed to that. We've all done what's evil in the sight of the Lord. What was his response to that? In his mercy, he chose to send someone into that. He sent his own son, Jesus, into this world to come rescue his people. The Bible says that everyone who repents and believes in Jesus, that rescuer, will in fact be saved and have eternal life. And aren't you thankful that's God's heart? Aren't you thankful he is kind and compassionate and patient and sent a rescuer for us? we might have hope and have life. Let me pray for us and then we're gonna celebrate that God and his mercy today. Father, we thank you so much for the book of Judges and the truths that we've been able to see this morning. And we pray that you would help us to apply them in our lives. And Father, we certainly thank you for being kind and compassionate and for sending Jesus into the world as our rescuer. And so it's with great joy now that we celebrate your mercy and what you've done for us in him. And we pray that in his name. Amen.